0: Well, good morning, Lakeview. Good morning. Well, when I was little, I developed a love for mysteries and just tales of suspense, mind puzzles, anything that kind of left you wondering or stories of intrigue and suspense. Any of those kinds of things. Any anyone else in the room, right there with me, like mysteries, anything that kind of gets you thinking. So, like three of you, that's cool. This will be a great message. <laughs> um, but for me, those. Have Have always been a source of excitement and um, just interest and in high school I stumbled across an old TV show called Night Gallery anyone heard of that all right it was first aired in 1969 so I know it's a little out of out of my time but it ran for three seasons, and each episode featured a handful of short, suspenseful kind of stories. But each one was a bit unique because the stories all started with a painting, a moment suspended on a canvas. And the host, a guy named Rod Serling, would begin each episode saying good evening (laughs) and welcome to a private showing of three paintings displayed here for the first time. Each is a collector's item in its own way, not because of any special artistic quality, but because each captures on a canvas and suspends in time and space a frozen moment of a nightmare. And that's how he'd start the show. And then he would go on to introduce each painting, each story that it held. And the thing that connected these paintings and these stories was their oddity their strange, sometimes mysterious, kind of disconcerting, spine-tingling kind of nature. There was almost something uncomfortable about each of the stories. Not quite scary all the time, but unsettling for sure. It's the kind of stories that I would watch with my best friend in high school, and we'd sit there in the middle of the night and watch them and share a blanket and try to not scream and wake our parents up. So this morning, I'd like to take us on a journey through our own night gallery. We'll call it a morning gallery. And take a look at a few portraits here. Few images that might be a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit disconcerting, because each of these portraits behind me depicts a moment of shame. See, shame is perhaps one of our worst nightmares, is it not? to be caught guilty, to be proven wrong, and to bear the weight of our guilt and our shame. And it's uncomfortable and unsettling, and we don't like it. From the very first moment of shame that was read for us back in the book of Genesis, it was clearly uncomfortable for Adam and Eve. They didn't really know what shame was at that time I would guess but they sure felt it right they recognized they were naked and it made them uncomfortable so they hid they felt shame and guilt In fact, perhaps one of the worst things that we could imagine is having our guilt put on display. Like if we think of all of the fears that we could potentially have, imagine every moment of guilt and shame and wrong, every mistake put on display for everyone to see. Does it make anyone else a little bit nervous or just me? (laughs) Imagine a a guilt gallery where people could just walk through and look at the things that you've done in your life one by one by one. That's a terrifying feeling for us. And perhaps the even more terrifying thing is that today in our culture, that's not actually too hard to imagine because all it takes is is one iPhone, one click, one snap of a picture, one comment or one caption. And anything that you do could potentially be put on display for the whole world to see. And because of this, a lot of us live in fear That our deepest, darkest secret could be out, and we could potentially be publicly shamed in our guilt. So, this morning, we're gonna walk through a guilt gallery. Now, a couple notes I want to make before we get started with this gallery here. First of all is don't worry. None of these are pictures of your shame and guilt. I haven't been spying on you and collecting stories for this message, so don't worry. You don't have to leave. You'll be okay. But they might hit close to home, remind you of maybe your own shame and guilt. In fact, I hope they do. But the second thing I wanna make a note of is today is a family Sunday, so you may notice that there's kids in the room. And throughout these these portraits, these paintings, you'll see a few of these kids come up and help me. So they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. Don't freak out, but you'll see some of them coming up to help. So those kids that I've asked, be ready and listening. So, in the style of night gallery, with my best Rod Serling voice. Good morning, and welcome to a special showing of four paintings displayed here for the first time. Each is a collector's item in its own way, not because of any special artistic quality, but because each captures on a board and suspends in time and space a frozen moment of guilt and shame. Exhibit A. This is the story of a man named Isaiah, and Isaiah was a normal kind of man. He, was, he wasn't a bad man. He was a good man, actually, a very godly man. He was chosen by God to speak the words of God himself. And yet in this moment in time, he finds himself somewhere he had no business being. He's standing before the throne of God Almighty, His glory on full display. And there's there's these angels standing, flying around the throne, and and they're, they're singing out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they won't even look at God Because they realize how unworthy they are. In fact, the Bible says they use two wings to cover their eyes, two wings to cover their unworthy feet, and two wings to fly. And the room is filled with smoke and with the robes of God flowing in the temple. And Isaiah hears the voice of God and it shakes the room. And though Isaiah hasn't done anything wrong per se, he quickly realizes he has no business being here. He is totally unworthy. In fact, he so realizes this that he cries out, Woe is me, I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In the face of God's overwhelming glory, he feels ashamed to be standing there in his unworthy state. And it's like God's glory places a humiliating spotlight on the guilt that he didn't even realize was there. Exhibit A. Exhibit B. This is the story of a man named Peter. He was also an ordinary man. In fact, the most ordinary of all ordinary, he was a fisherman. He fished for a living, and sometimes he caught, and sometimes he didn't. And on this particular occasion, he, he was out on a long night of work, struggling just to make ends meet, to provide for his family. And he'd been out all night long and had no catch to show for it. And a man walked up to him as he's cleaning his nets, man he didn't know or recognize, and he asked him to pull his boat out a little bit further from the land. Of course, he wasn't thrilled by this request, who would be after working all night long. But he does it anyways. And this man begins to speak, to teach people who had gathered on the shore And so this man, Peter, he's sitting there listening along with everyone else. And when the man finishes teaching, he turns to Peter and he says, Take your boat out deeper and let your nets down for a catch. Now, of course, this has to be infuriating for Peter. He's been out all night long trying to get a catch. But he says you know what, man, uh, we've been out all night long. I'm tired. I, I'm ready to go home. But if you say so, I'll do it. Maybe hoping inside that he can kind of prove this man wrong, kind of stick it to him. So he goes out further. And he puts out his nets and all of a sudden, the nets are filled with fish. They're beyond filled. They are, they're breaking. They're so full. And he calls out to his friends and has them all come, help him pull the fish in. They pull the fish in. They get back to shore. And in this moment, Peter realizes his unworthiness. He realizes that he's essentially just just told off someone who has far more power and authority than he does. And so when he gets to the shore, he falls to his feet, the feet of this man, and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In the face of this man, Jesus' abundance and authority over even the fish of the sea, Peter is ashamed by his own smallness and sinfulness. Who was he? to speak back to a man who could speak such abundance into existence. Exhibit B. Exhibit C. Our third picture of shame is the story of a nameless man, at least to us. It's actually the story of two nameless men, but we do know a little bit about them both. One was a Pharisee, a religious man who followed all of the rules of the day. The other was a tax collector kind of the the total opposite, hated for his partnership in helping Rome collect taxes from his own people. And the two men are worshiping in the temple together. The first man, the Pharisee, stands up and prays, thanking God that he isn't like other men. And we can assume that he is referring to the tax collector standing nearby, or at least the likes of him. And his prayer is, is a little odd. See, it sounds a little less like a prayer and a little bit more like a praise of himself. He's talking about how, how good he is, all the good things that he's done, telling God how great he is. But the other man, the tax collector, is standing a ways off, and he won't even look up into heaven. He won't even lift his face up towards God. In fact, as he prays, he's beating his chest, and he cries out, God be merciful on me, a sinner. His worship seems almost a little bit like mourning. Because in the face of God's presence, felt fully in the temple, the house of God, this man is ashamed of his sin he realizes in in all his maybe wealth that he's acquired as a tax collector he has nothing to offer a holy God nothing to boast in and even his prayers betray him as unworthy and undeserving Exhibit C. Finally, Exhibit D, our fourth and final picture of shame. And it's perhaps the most shameful of them all. See, this is the story of a woman who not only recognized her shame, but was caught in the midst of her shame. And there is no questioning or denying her guilt. She was caught sleeping with a man who was not her husband and dragged out into public by the religious leaders. I mean, you can talk about humiliating here. She's caught in her sin, in her nakedness. And and it kind of harkens back to that very first moment of guilt and shame. Where Adam and Eve are caught in their nakedness. And she's thrown face to face with a man who some say might just be the son of God. And this woman cannot deny what she's done. She has nothing left to say. And so instead, she just kneels there, likely with tears streaming down her face, with only the rocks and the dirt as her companions. probably wishing at this moment that someone would just let her die instead of having to sit in the weight of her guilt and shame. And as she kneels there, face to face with her guilt, she hears the men around her talking, discussing her fate, because she knows as well as them According to the law, she should be stoned. And surrounded by her captors and this man who some call holy, she can only wish that death would come quickly. Shame is a powerful equalizer, isn't it? It brings onto the same level the prophet and the adulteress, the wealthy tax collector and the fisherman. And it forces us to come face to face with the true state of who we are guilty unworthy and sinful and dirty and we know inside that avoiding shame at all costs is the safest route in life we know that to hide your wrongs and don't stand too close to someone who may shed a a light on you that makes you look worse and them look better we know that that's just how you go through life right Avoid that, uh, avoid those things, avoid shame and guilt. In fact, the world has actually equipped us with ways to hide our shame and our imperfections and our guilt to mask anything that casts a bad light on us. Like a little Photoshop here, make us look a little more flattering. A better filter so the light looks just perfect. Only post the pictures that make you look your best. And don't you dare post anything that presumes that things aren't all perfect in life. And our world has taught us that guilt is a bad thing. We don't like guilt. We don't want to feel guilty. We don't want anyone to even imply that we might be guilty. In fact, just let me live my life. Don't tell me I'm wrong. I don't want to feel like I'm guilty or wrong. But what if guilt and shame is exactly what we need to embrace? in order to experience something even more powerful called grace? What if it isn't until we come face to face with our guilt that we can realize that grace is even possible, that, that we realize that something beautiful that we don't deserve is actually available to us? forgiveness see in each of these portraits of shame it's after these individuals come face to face with their guilt that they are met with incredible grace see I didn't tell that part of the story yet but it's after Isaiah proclaims his uncleanness that an angel takes From the altar of God, a burning coal, and touches it to his lips and proclaims him clean. And says, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. After Peter falls to Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, Jesus calls him into a greater purpose than just fishing for fish. He calls him to fish for men, to extend to others, to invite others to step into and experience his grace. It's after he faced his guilt. And after the tax collector left the temple, you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, that man, when he went home, was justified. Not the Pharisee. The man who came face to face with his guilt. He experienced rightness with God and God's grace. And then we have the woman caught in adultery, who was clearly guilty caught with her shame on full display. I mean, out of any of these, she's the one that we all know is guilty. Jesus forces her captors to come face to face with their own sin and shame, leaving no one guiltless. And when they realizing that they are just as guilty as this woman caught in her shame leave, unable to in good conscience pick up a stone and throw it because they realize they might as well be turning those stones on themselves. Then, after that, Jesus looks down at this woman in love and compassion and he says, Where are your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. See, recognizing and admitting our guilt is actually the gateway to experiencing God's great grace. We cannot fully grasp the goodness and forgiveness he has to offer until we come face to face with our own shame and guilt and unworthiness. And the beautiful thing is that God invites each of us to turn in our guilt And shame in exchange for his grace. See, we may not have like a physical, literal gallery of our shame, our guilt, our wrongdoings on display for the world to see. But God actually does see every moment. He sees every sin. He sees every wrong, every guilt and shame. And and he is walking through the gallery of our lives with nothing hidden from his sight. But as he walks through, he, being the great collector and restorer of lost souls, takes a look at those images of our lives, and he says, I'll buy them all. Every last one of them paid in full, I want to buy them so I can restore them. Because God is good and gracious and loving. Paul, another man who was no stranger to guilt and shame, wrote in the book of Ephesians, He is so rich. In kindness and grace, that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. See, where we see only our guilt, God sees an opportunity for his great grace. We have only to give him the key to the gallery of our hearts. Let him in so that he can begin the work of forgiving and restoring. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to accept his grace. And it requires you to come face to face with your guilt, to admit it, to confess it. But in admitting and accepting our guilt, putting it on display in the gallery of our life, we're also at the same time presenting it to God who has already paid the price in full for our sins through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he desires to restore us to grace if we will allow him. And so in just a minute, as the worship team plays, I want to invite you to come to the altar, just to confess, just as each of these did. And maybe it's your first time doing that, and maybe it's your 1,000th time doing that. But I want to invite you to, in the spirit of these stories, these people, to come to the altar and simply present yourself and cry out to God, Woe is me. I'm, I'm unclean. I'm, I'm unworthy. I'm sinful. Lord have mercy on me because each and every one of us is guilty and shameful and I want to give you time to symbolically put on display before God, not before the church, before God as a way to invite him to then pour out his grace. And after this time of response, if if you feel so led to come forward, we'll return to our seats and we'll remember together the act of communion, a practice that isn't just a, a ritual or a practice of remembrance, but it's actually literally an opportunity for us to experience God's grace. And so, in preparation for that, during this time, you can come forward to the altar. If you didn't grab one of the communion cups from the back on your way out, just slip up a hand so that someone can bring that to you. And then we'll enter into that time of communion together in just a moment but I want to give you space to come to the altar and to cry out to God woe is me I am sinful I am guilty I am unclean I am unworthy let me come face to face with that so that I can experience your grace Come to the altar and sit face to face with your guilt in order to invite in God's grace. Would you come?